1: Hi, I'm Solejo, and you're listening to the Extra Spicy podcast. Since January of last year, 36 restaurants, from Michelin starred kitchens to hip cocktail lounges and beloved taco shops, have all signed on to Dining for Justice, adding a 1% surcharge to their bills to help feed the region's most vulnerable. The program is the work of Maria Alderetti, the former co owner of Lucas Tap Room in Oakland and co founder of Community Kitchens, the nonprofit behind Dining for Justice. Maria says the program has generated 145,000 meals so far and provides about 10,000 meals to people in need on a monthly basis. For Maria, feeding the community is deeply personal. I
0: think food for me growing up is kind of the first moment at which I noticed inequality or the difference in my status with other people. You know, I first hit like that playground lunch table. You know, everybody brings their sack of food or the meals that they are eating that day. And I quickly noticed that I came from a family of six kids and we had food, but we didn't have the food that others had.
1: Community kitchens doesn't just feed people the basics. It serves really high quality meals from local restaurants, the same food a paying customer might get.
0: Food is so much more than just nutrition. It's about bringing people together. It's about that warm feeling you have when you have something that, you know, really resonates with you. So we want to not only provide a nourishing meal, but we want to show them that we care.
1: Maria's project was born out of a need she and other community organizers saw at the start of the pandemic. For the first
0: 45 days of the shelter-in-place orders, We were working every single day, picking up food, repackaging it, and making sure that our unhoused neighbors were fed because the shelter-in-place orders also stopped a lot of people from actually going out into the community and being able to feed people. That's
1: Candace Elder, founder and director of East Oakland Collective, one of the community partners that Community Kitchens works with to distribute food provided by partner restaurants.
0: Lettuce? Green are you? Orange? Yeah. COVID hits. we lost all our food sources. So we were able to provide food through the help of restaurants who were also struggling because they had less customers. Community Kitchen meals are made with love, pride. They are packaged well. They are presented well. And people are able to feel that love and care. yes, yeah, my people. Como esta? All right, good, good, good. All right, Uh, Juan and Marta, Emma, see, come on, welcome. For
1: Maria, Community Kitchens is about rallying the restaurant world to come together in solidarity. It's about caring for neighbors in need and healing a community with good food. Here's my conversation with Maria Aldoretti. Thanks for joining me, Maria. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I guess we should just start off by asking who do you feed? Well, we feed anyone
0: who would otherwise go without a hot meal. Predominantly, we're feeding our unhoused brothers and sisters in Oakland. But, you know, with the pandemic, we are also supporting shut-in seniors and kids that may be going without a meal for a day.
1: And what are you feeding people exactly? Can you describe like a typical meal that you send out? Absolutely. Our core value with Community Kitchens is meals
0: with dignity. And so what I ask our restaurant collective to provide meals that they would proudly serve their customers or their family. So I think that's really kind of what sets us apart because as restaurateurs, we know how humanizing food can be. And so we want to put the same love and attention that we, we serve our customers into the meals that we serve our community in many ways, we tailor the food preferences to the community that we're serving. So in East Oakland, we work with East Oakland Collective and Melabistro provides Mm -hmm. them with Ethiopian meals every other week. They enjoy the food, but it's not something they are eating every week. Mm. It gives them a little bit more variety in the food that we're serving them.
1: Oh, cool. Yeah. From what I've read and kind of seen of other sorts of food security programs, you know, the food is like functional at times. And I've definitely yeah. like heard complaints from people who emailed me about, about these things, even though I'm not going to re- review yeah. any of them, um, <laughs> that the food is not, um, not the greatest. So <laughs> I would love right. to hear more about just that, that idea that you have of like eating with dignity. Like where did that come from? Equal dignity is
0: is something that has always resonated with me. I think food for me growing up is, is kind of the first moment at which I noticed inequality or the difference in my status with other people. You know, I first hit like that playground, um, lunch table, you know, everybody brings their, their sack of food or their, the meals that they are eating that day. And, you know, I quickly noticed that I came from a family of six kids and, we had food, but we didn't have the food that others had. So there weren't any ho-hos or ding-dongs or whatever was being served in the early 70s. And so I think very early on, you know, noticing that inequality existed at the dining room table. That was something that from the very beginning of community kitchens, we felt was a founding principle. Mm,
1: okay. A few years ago, I talked to someone about the idea of being on food stamps. I was also on food stamps for a while too. And just how you get kind of, there's a lot of visibility when you're on food stamps. Like people pay attention to what you eat in a weird way where like they don't want you eating nice stuff, you know? Yeah. They judge you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I think what you're doing is so great because you are just saying like, you know what, we're going to give you the nice stuff.
0: Candace Elder kind of puts it quite frankly, and Candace is from the East Oakland Collective. She says that community kitchens provides high quality meals to those who aren't expecting mm-hmm. it. And so imagine that. I think her food program over the years used to rely on corporate cafeterias, and it was the food that wasn't eaten at the end of the day. You know, we just want to change that approach. We know how food is so much more than just nutrition. It's about bringing people together. It's about that warm feeling you have when you have something that really resonates with you. So we want to not only provide a nourishing meal, but we want to show them that we care.
1: Yeah, I think there's this like kind of chestnut that people carry with them, especially people who write and think about food a lot. That idea that food brings people together. But you also just talked about how like food can be a way to differentiate people, right? Like the undesirables from the ones who deserve good food and bridging that gap, I think is it's active work. Like you can't just give someone, you know, some slop and expect that to bring people together, right?
0: What resonates most with me is, you know, people might come to a restaurant and eat half of their meal, and then they package that meal to go. And then on their route home, they might leave it on top of a trash can, thinking that someone who is less fortunate will be grateful for picking that up. And in many ways, it's very compassionate for them to, to think about others, but the meal that they put on that trash can is not a meal that they would eat themselves. You know, they would never pick up a meal from a trash can and eat it. Wow, yeah, and the trash can, I think
1: positioning says a lot too. Just like, god, can you think of a more like potent symbol. Exactly. Exactly. There are so many different
0: food programs out there where the focus is on just nutrition. And I think that we're really a new model. I think that's really what differentiates us. We're serving not just food to nourish the body, but it's also to nourish the soul.
1: In that vein, I think your program, Dining for Justice, is one of the few programs that actually asks diners for money directly through a 1% surcharge. Is that right?
0: That's right. Dining for Justice is an initiative that we launched in January. It's 1% on restaurant dining at our participating restaurants
1: It kind of seems like a tax on the rich, a little bit. It is a little bit, yeah. (laughs) Wow, at least you have the guts to do it. (laughs) But, you know, it really
0: is a way for restaurant owners to, you know, put their values into their, their business model. In many ways, the meals that we produce, even for our customers, reflect our values. They reflect, you know, local sourcing or organic produce. And this way, Dining for Justice is enabling the tour to add food justice to their value portfolio. And, you know, I have to say that the response has been overwhelming. 90% of the restaurants that I've reached out to are like, yes, this is great. Not only is it something that I support, but we're making it easy for them to participate And then the response from diners has been overwhelming. People are excited that they're involved in the program. It's one penny for every dollar. So it's a dollar for every hundred dollar bill. We're really not asking much, but it's just a way for everybody to be a part of a food justice movement in Oakland. Mm.
1: Does this like contribute significantly to the effort or is it does it feel like mostly symbolic? Like, how does it? Manifest as far as like money taken in
0: right now, we're kind of in the implementation phase. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, getting everybody's POS system set sure. up. And, but what we project is that 50 restaurants participating would provide 10,000 meals a month, 100 restaurants. Participating could provide 20,000 meals a month. So it is a way for there to be a significant contribution from the community. And it's important because honestly, there's not a lot of government funding for meal programs focused on unhoused uh, I've been doing a lot of advocacy at the county level, trying to get them to recognize our unhoused community as, as a community that needs more resources addressing food security. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of money for seniors. There's a lot of money for youth programs. But, you know, to date, there hasn't been any money dedicated to unhoused. Um, and we need to change that. We participated in a program with the county with the emergency food program that was basically funded through the CARES Act. And it was great. You know, it enabled us to quadruple our output, but it also ended at the end of December. Mm. But everybody needs to eat every day. So, you know, we can't really afford for the budget process to allocate. And then for there to be a five-month gap, people still need to eat in that time. And so Dining for Justice is a way for us to have stable and reliable funding that won't have gaps. Mm,
1: Yeah, I'm assuming. I mean, I think it's a safe assumption that many of the people who are unhoused during the pandemic earlier continue to be and still need to eat, as you're saying. Um, So pulling that funding just is brutal. Yeah, I feel
0: like the pandemic really brought us together and raised a collective awareness of, of how big of an issue it really was. But food insecurity for our own house existed before the pandemic. It will exist after the pandemic. And it's important that, you know, we leverage the collective solidarity that was built during the pandemic
1: to be
0: there after.
1: You're listening to the Extra Spicy podcast. We'll be right back after the break. You can support this podcast and the newsroom that creates it by subscribing to the San Francisco Chronicle at sfchronicle.com/pod. I'm Solejo, and we're back with Maria Alderetti. So you mentioned before that you had gotten a lot of really good reaction from diners, and I hate to say it, the Chronicle did a story about it. I think it was, I think it was a good story. I never read the comments but in this case in preparation <laughs> of this interview I did and I think you can kind of assume like who the commentators on chronicle stories might be um it's very next door in like a bad way. Yeah. And so a lot of them had like questions, right? Like okay, if you're trying to feed unhoused people, you know, they don't use the nice word for it. Are there soup kitchens, SNAP, EPT, like other benefits? Like why do we need we as diners like need to pay 1% more for our food to I don't know, add more food to the pile. Like, I know that is like a messed up way of thinking, but I would love to hear from you, like the gaps that you are trying to address with this. I think the one
0: major thing that came out of the pandemic is that we're better off collectively than individually. Hmm. I would say that that is a, a very individual insular perspective and whether we are the government or a diner or a restaurateur, you know, we all really need to be a part of the solution. I read those comments and feel like a lot of those comments are coming from outside Oakland because Mm -hmm. when you meet a true Oaklander, they're fighting on next door, advocating for our unhoused. I think it's, it's really a movement that because We're kind of a a community in Oakland of, of the underdog, but we also are driven by compassion. And, you know, I would just challenge them to just think a little bit more collectively. But I think we can all agree that everyone needs to eat every day and not everyone has access to that. And what do we need to do to help? And this is our way of saying this is what we as an industry can do to help.
1: Right. And there is a long history of food justice work in the East Bay as well. I mean, you know, you think back to the Black Panther Party's free breakfast program where they would feed kids at churches or community centers really nice, like, homemade grits and eggs and wholesome fruit and food. And there was, like, this direct kind of connection, right, between, like, feeding people and uplifting the community. Like, they saw the results. And in that way, it was so radical. Can you talk more about, like, how community kitchens and the work you do, like, kind of fits into that history? What is the issue that you're trying to dig into by feeding people?
0: Feeding people where they're at, without judgment. And that is something that resonates within our nonprofit. We're not just a collective of restaurants. We're also a collective of community groups throughout Oakland. So we're working with people's program in, in West Oakland who, you know, are really historically driven by the same principles as the Black Panther Party. We're working with East Oakland Collective, Homies Empowerment. And, you know, they're really, truly the frontline heroes, or healers even, who are bringing, you know, the food to the people. Messages that resonate with me is we serve us. We're serving our community. And that is definitely something that has been Ingrained in my life from very early on. You know, I came from a pretty conservative Catholic household. Mm. (laughs) But, you know, one thing it taught me was even though we didn't have much, every Lent would, you know, give up something. But It wasn't that we were giving up something, it's that we were giving it to someone else, someone who's less fortunate. Mm. It's in the same spirit of what we're doing, feeding our community, knowing that these are basic necessities that need to be met and we need to all stand up and be a part of that.
1: The things I was talking about with like the commentators, and I'm also sorry that you read the comments too. (laughs) Awful. (laughs) But thinking about systemic kind of issues and like, you know, how thinking systemically is like really hard for a lot of people. You know, whenever I talk to friends and family from outside of the Bay Area, they always want to talk to me about homelessness, like the concept of homelessness, and just like what is happening here. It just seems like a really visible thing that the community is going through. And I never want to pretend I'm any sort of housing policy expert because I'm not. I'm just a food critic. But there seems to be this like, intangible sense of despair and helplessness and sadness among people about it. Yeah. And also callousness. I just want to hear from you too. Like how how do you feel about all of this? Like how do you feel that feeding people helps in some way? I know you believe it does. And I just want to know like how that belief might inform your work.
0: Yeah, I think that understanding someone else's perspective is is really hard, especially when it comes to an unhoused individual. But What I do know is that they've gone through a lot of trauma, the process of being evicted, the process of losing your home, you know, that is going to fundamentally shake an individual to their core. And so really the folks that are on the streets are survivors. Despite everything that they've gone through, they're still living life however they can. And it's something that I think that, a lot of local officials who are out there and look at these encampments as trash and are further traumatizing these communities by by removing these encampments. We have to remember that, you know, they've they've gone through so much trauma to date. We have to serve them with compassion rather than further traumatizing them.
1: I mean, it's a good reminder, too, that, like, folks are just walking around traumatized and like unable to metabolize any of that they're they're not getting therapy you know or any sort of I don't know empathy really yeah and that's just yeah that's going to manifest in so many different ways I waited tables in my youth making minimum wage and put myself through Cal and I got an
0: econ degree and you know you think about supply and demand and you know what does that mean when supply and demand, you know, means that people aren't eating, that means that people don't have houses, you know, we really have an economic model that's not working. And we serve without judgment, however, people got to where they are and where they're living, but everyone still needs to eat. So every day, I wish that I could do more, you know, I wish that I could provide the housing. I wish that I could do the advocacy to enhance public benefits. But at the end of the day, I think that's why our model works well. We team up with community groups like Boss Bay Area that are a pathway to housing. And we focus on just providing a meal. But like I said, it's a meal with dignity. So these meals are actually enabling our community groups to open up conversations about what are the barriers to you getting a home? How can we get you on a path to housing? And so I guess it's important to realize you can't do everything, but you have to team up with people in a way that we're actually, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts.
1: I'm in awe of this and I'm also like feeling really, you know, I don't know this, maybe this sounds terrible and I'm sorry, but I do feel validated that even you feel like you're not doing enough. Yeah when you're doing so much. Yeah. I mean, well, I
0: I would hope that politicians would feel the same way. And and I think they do. I mean, I think that, you know, our governor has finally come out with a budget that is really trying to channel a lot more money into addressing homelessness and, and our unhoused community because it's widespread. It's across all of California. It's something that we can't just turn a blind eye to. I mean, I don't know the last time you drove around Oakland, but it's exploded. You know, you can't walk from a three-star Michelin restaurant and not see an unhoused person. And in many ways that's good because, you know, we gotta, we gotta keep the elephant in the room, you know, to make sure that it becomes a priority for our politicians to create the infrastructure, to build more housing, to get people into housing and and to recognize that, you know, it's a basic human right.
1: Right. I think it's, it can be really easy to, I don't know, to slip into the thinking that, you know, when you see someone on the street that this is an eyesore and not a human, you know, I think we as in people who are housed and comfortable and fed, I think it can be really easy for us and like rewarding, actually, to feel like it's not our problem. Right. So with that in mind, I think my last question would be, you know, for people who who are kind of unsure and just like kind of. They, they do feel something and they want to do something. What, what advice do you have for like channeling resources or like mental energy in the most productive way?
0: We take our whole community. We're a part of our whole community. And if that's walking down the street and acknowledging someone as, as an individual who might be sitting in a tent, you know, that can make their day. Just being acknowledged making sure that you're seeing your whole community and approaching it with compassion and doing what you can. I've had the privilege of owning a restaurant for 18 years and building a network of people that I know, and then being able to pivot during the pandemic and bring them all together. That's what I can do because of the experiences that I've had and look at what what you are doing within your life and, and how that might be leveraged to, to help others because coming out of this pandemic, we're stronger if we we work collectively and be a part of that collective.
1: Thank you so much. This is absolutely, it's been such a pleasure (laughs) hearing from you and just getting kind of a gut check about all of this sort of big idea stuff. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, I appreciate
0: the fact that you step outside the restaurants and really approach food in a different way. It's so important. (laughs) That's
1: right. Thank you so much, Maria. I appreciate you. It's such a pleasure. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks again to Maria Alderetti for chatting today. Community Kitchens is in need of donations to make up for lost funding throughout May and June. If you'd like to make a donation, visit ckoakland.org.